Hey friends, how you doing? Yep, that's right. You're just hearing my voice, the voice of Andrew. As you might have realised, my friend Ali is not joining us on today's episode because I have had a one-on-one conversation with someone that you are going to appreciate having a listen to. Hey friends, it is Andrew here, and today we have the absolute privilege to be welcomed by someone that you might know of, Nick Sinclair, the founder of Toa Global. Nick, now I'm not going to waste my time incorrectly introducing you in terms of who you are and what you do. Why don't you give us a quick spiel on who you are right now, and then I want to dive a little bit into your backstory. But before we get there, tell me about yourself as out right now. What do you do? What do you stand for? What's you about? Hey Andrew, thanks for having me today. Uh, so Nick Sinclair, founder of Toa Global and also AB2 Institute, uh, was a financial planner. My passion, my background was around financial planning, um, then, you know, sort of fumbled my way into accounting, mortgage broking uh, over the years. And then now I run an outsourcing company across five countries and two and a half thousand plus team members. Do you, um, help, do you miss... Accountants. Do you miss financial planning, mortgage broking, accounting? Do you miss it? Is there any days you go, geez, I, I wish I just get stuck into a spreadsheet and do some reconciliations? Yeah, look, I think the part that I love was sitting in front of clients and helping them create their futures. And and I do miss that, to be honest. But I, I look at my bigger why now and, and I think I can have a bigger impact on more small business owners. But I definitely do miss sitting down in one-on-one with people and helping them map out their futures and show them the stop spending money on silly things and <laughs> do better do better with it. I feel that sometimes I'm really bad with that because I, I kind of say, look, I'm a really bad, I'm not a financial license financial advisor. I don't, I don't deliver that, but I'm, I'm really bad at delivering some business financial advice sometimes because I want you to be happy. And sometimes that means you're going to make bad financial decisions because it's a good mental decision and that's just what you would be comfortable with. Um, going, going back a little bit, so did you ever pitch yourself doing what you do now like when you were in those formative years go back to like high school go to university go to working in you know the career and kind of finding your way in those early days did you ever have aspirations for running a business that services multiple countries and a bunch and bunch of people kind of being impacted because of it 100 percent no <laughs> what was... did you think you were gonna do you're like i'll just i guess i'll just like run some you know insurances and some you know investments and that'll be that'll be that I didn't even think I'd be that good. I thought, you know, I was back in the day, I was into, I was a lifesaver. I was an Ironman. I was all into sport. I played football. Um, school was about, for me, it was about sport. Um, I was not an academic. I you know, was not interested really. I did okay. I did average. But um, my life was all about sport. So I was hoping at some point I'd be good enough to be a professional sports person. And I left school and had no idea what I wanted to what I wanted to do. I studied environmental science to start with, dropped out of that, um, you know, became a trolley boy, ran a service station, ran a pizza store, ran a pasta store. I did everything. I, I wow. really didn't have any idea what I was going to be because I was still hanging on the hope of, you know, just training all day and being fit and being a professional sports person. What sport were you into? Uh, surf lifesaving, so Ironman. Particularly, oh, yeah, that's that's just, that's like the hardcore level of sports though. That's not even a real sport. That's just, I think that's insanity, isn't it? It was, but I think the problem was it didn't pay anything. So that was sort of my conflicting point of, you know, the passion for what I loved and realizing, well, it's not going to, you know, mm. feed a family if you have one in the future. So 
So you, you ended up doing something in the world of finance. So you've been running, looking after a whole bunch of things. What got you into the world of finance then? Yeah, so it was probably a turning point at the end of when I was coming out of school. My parents lost everything, went bankrupt. Um, they, you know, got some bad advice over the years. They probably weren't, they had no asset protection. So I'm not blaming the accountant, but the accountant was doing their compliance work, but not giving them advice that probably would have helped them a bit. My dad was probably not the best at running businesses and probably needed some guidance and structure, but just he didn't have anyone to turn to. So my parents lost everything. And then on the flip side, my girlfriend at the time, her family were wealthy than I've ever, I've still yet to meet anyone that's got that much money. It was just crazy. So I was living with them and, and living their lifestyle and then seeing my parents go through everything they were going through. And it just made me realize that I don't want anyone to ever go through what they went through. They ended up losing their marriage. Now, that wasn't the only contributing factor, but it was definitely the financial pressures definitely mm. was a contributing factor. Mm. And I looked at it and went, look, I don't want anyone to ever have to go through what they went through. You know, so I didn't want, you know, my, my kid, my brothers and sisters all went through it as well. It was hard on us as kids. Mm. So my thing was, you know, I didn't want anyone to have to go through that. So I've got this passion for, for finance. Um, so initially it was stockbroking I got interested in and then I, you know, worked at a bank as a teller and then I got into lending and then I got into financial planning, but they rejected me. Um, one of the banks rejected me. So then I went <laughs> to work. Um, so that really, I suppose, they rejected me because I didn't have the background in education. So I went and studied um, a commerce in financial planning investments course at Griffith. Mm. And that sort of set me on that path to going down the finance route. But before that, I, like I said, I'd worked in every job. I, I was really didn't know what I wanted to be. So you, you've had this inspiration because of an experience you and your family have gone through, an unfortunate experience. You're, uh, you've gone and done the study. You're in, you're in the job. You're working. Between then and the idea for TOA, was this just a con- con- continual just evolution of knowledge and learning or were you specifically finding and, and moving in a way to get you to where you are now? Uh, I mean, I always, I've got a very much a growth mindset. I read a lot. Uh, I mean, I read over 24 books a year. Um, I'm constantly learning. I don't think I've ever read 24 books in total. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, I never used to, but I do enjoy it now. I I learn a lot. But I'd love to say that where we are, where I am today is from, you know, prescribed and mapped out and, you know, I've got there perfectly. But it wasn't. It was a zigzag road. It was... You know, Toa was never meant to be. It came out of, you know, my own back office growing and then, you know, some opportunities coming in and then supply and demand. So I think that, you know, it is a lot more prescribed now than it was in the past, but it's never been something where I've been very clear on. I want to get to this point with this much and do this, these things in my life. It's really Mm. just, you know, continuously building on that. I do find it's that that's the kind of stuff that as you, you start to get more involved in certain things, then you start to realize, oh, like I can create a bit of a better vision and a bit of a better idea. Whereas often in the early days, it's like, I just want to, I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to have more opportunity. I don't know what that opportunity is, but as it comes, it goes there. Side note, big reader, 24 books a year, well done. Um, I'm going to send you a badge for that. Um, what are your top five books? What are, what are the top five books that have impacted you over your life? There's so many of them. Or just go top I mean, two if it's too hard to go five. Yeah, look, Scaling New Heights is definitely <laughs> the big one. Um, 
scaling, I'm not scaling, I'm scaling up. I'm thinking of a conference in, I was in say, the US at the moment. Yep. <laughs> it's scaling up uh, by Vern Harnish. Vern Harnish, yeah. So that was, um, that was definitely one of the major ones. We used a lot of those frameworks um, and implemented those over the years. We're, we're adapting and we're sort of outgrowing some of them at the moment, but yeah, scaling up is definitely one of them. And then one of my first books I've actually got behind me, which is the Richard Branson um, book which is his autobiography. I was just looking behind me. There's a few mm. of them up there. So that was probably one of the first books that I read as a teenager was Richard Branson's book about or his autobiography of what he'd done. And I was fascinated by how someone can grow so many diverse businesses and just the way that he was out there and, and he's pretty intense, but, you know, absolutely love the man and what he's done. So that was probably started my entrepreneurial journey was reading his book. So entrepreneurial journey, reading lots of books. What what was that aha moment to make you go, hey, I should like be able to help people have resources to do work that they do and do it differently. And and all of a sudden, Toa comes. Like what 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 brought Toa alive? So I was running my own. I was in the Philippines for Entrepreneurs Organization for the Global Board Retreat. I saw one of our members what he was doing with his back office. I was struggling with capacity. I was working enormous hours. I had young kids, um, you know, I had no work-life balance uh, and I just couldn't find team members to keep up with the growth. So I ended up building our own back office in the Philippines. Um, and, you know, I could tell a story about for hours about how that came about, but I think you know, fast forward, Rob Nixon, um, who coaches accountants asked me to go on his roadshow. He was, um, the roadshow was called capitalizing on the cloud. So this is, you know, when zero was just becoming a thing. He wanted to use me on stage to basically go, look at this young punk. He's got a back office in the Philippines. He's doing bookkeeping for 20 bucks an hour. Um, he's taking all your clients. You need to move to advisory. So that was sort of his motivation. So he, he wanted um, to put you on stage to have eggs thrown out rather than him. Yeah, well, it, it, helped him, it, it helped him definitely to obviously convert people across the advisory. But, you know, what I didn't know was after the end of the first event, I'd had five firms come up to me saying, look, love what you're doing. We're probably not as stupid as you. They didn't say those words, but I knew that they meant them. We're not going to set up in the Philippines. Do you have spare desks that we could put people in? Mm. And at the time I had a 50-seat office. I had 30 people over there. And I looked at it and went, well, if I sell those 20 seats, that'll pay for my office costs. It'll pay for all the extra staff I have to have, like HR and recruitment and facilities. And then I might even be able to cover some of my own you know, staff's cost by that as well. Mm. What I didn't realize is at the end of that three-week roadshow, I'd sold 90 roles. So suddenly, you know, it became a thing. And then I was still running my financial planning business and then we doubled to 200. And then in the third year, we doubled to 400. And then I went, oh, okay, I can't do both. This is getting a little bit beyond a joke. Um, you need to choose your the one you love or, or the new baby that, you know, needs you more. So you went from 30 seats to 400 seats in two years. Three years. Three years, far out. Yeah. I, I, so, I look at the growth that we've been going through in terms of managing people um, and the challenge of that comes and that's that's a whole nother world. Yeah, well, I mean, within seven and a half, close to eight years now, we're two and a half thousand. We're putting on 100, 150 rolls a month. So Cheapest. We've, I think that the good thing is, is once you hit, there's some real growth barriers and we've gone through those over the years. But I think the thing that we're able to afford now that we are of that size is we can bring in real experts. I mean, now people experience division, for example, is over 40 people. We've got over 300 support staff supporting our team members and clients. So 
as you grow, you're able to bring in really highly skilled and, mm. you know, people that I never thought would ever, ever work for someone like me. Um, they're incredibly intelligent, worked at massive companies. You got to and, pinch yourself every now and then? Yeah, I do. It's normally, to be honest, it's normally at the end of year event. So every year we have our Christmas events um, in the Philippines where all of our team members come together um, in all three locations. And when you've got, you know, over a thousand people in a room in one location and you're like, holy crap, like eight years ago, this didn't exist. Um, my, our CEO, Craig, yesterday, it was my 41st birthday on Sunday. And Craig said to me, look, you know, nine years, you're 50. He goes, imagine what Toa's going to look like then. I said, well, that's, we're going to be, we're only eight years old now. So in nine years, it's scary to think. Where yeah, look at, look at that growth rate you've got. You'll be bloody 30,000 people by then. Yeah, so it's like, it's, yeah, it's interesting. But it's, I mean, it's exciting too. I mean, I love growth. I love new things. Um, that's what drives and excites me is that, is that part. The money part is irrelevant to me. It's, I love the game and that's the part that I love to play. So pitch me on TOA, TOA Global. So I'm sitting here, uh, what is it about if, I, if I'm looking in terms of onshore, offshore, and then if I'm looking offshore, anyone else versus TOA, like what is it that you guys go about that is different, impactful, values like what what is that what why would anyone want to be working with toa to solve their resource human human resource problems i think the biggest thing is we very early decided to focus on accountants so that is the only niche of client we serve so we know and understand everything about them our whole offering to you know how we set up our offices how we you know look after our team members, the employee value proposition. You know, a lot of outsourcing companies will have an accountant sitting next to someone on the phone, so a call centre person, and then they'll be sitting next to an architect. There's no collaboration within the, the floor um, or within the office. And, and because there's such diversity of roles, the knowledge sharing is not as big. But I think for us, the big thing is we've been able to build technology to enable our clients. So we've, we're in the process of launching our people management platform so we've been able to build out a training um ab2 institute which helps our clients to train the team members with australian qualifications mm. certificates diplomas help them become bass agents so i think that because we're so narrow and deep everything we do is to help them ultimately succeed with growing a global team and it's for me it's about the right people doing the right work at the right cost it's not about onshore offshore it's about who's best to do that role in what seat should they be sitting in? And then where do they sit globally is irrelevant. And I think that we find a lot of the Philippines is more of that transactional lower value work. Um, but in saying that, we do have some clients that have got them doing high-level manager-level work as well. So it really comes back to the firm's people strategy. But for us, you know, we live and breathe accounts. We know everything that's going on with them. We understand the world. I owned an accounting firm. Uh, a lot of our team have worked with accounts for a long time. So that's, I suppose, our passion is is helping the small business communities and, and seeing accountants succeed. Mm, mm. Go, going through that growth that you're seeing, you know, finding, like you're saying, another 100, 150 roles going from zero to 400 to 2,500 people over that time, uh, what are the biggest challenges you face as an organisation to be living out effectively what it is that you guys are trying to achieve? I think it's definitely the people. It's definitely getting the right people. And 
the biggest challenge is not so much getting the right people, it's getting the right people that can scale with you. So someone that is, you know, great when we're managing two and a half thousand may not be the role we need when we're managing 5,000. So that's, I suppose, the challenge is getting people with enough what we call runway. And then if they don't have enough runway for us to be able to, you know, for them to grow with us at the speed we need to, it's how do we continue to develop and grow them so they can continue to grow through the business, but just not into the role that they might have originally came into. Mm. So it's a lot of counselling around, well, you know, our, our, one of my first team members, she was our office manager. Now she's, you know, if you look at our leadership structure, she's probably 10 down the, down the rung now. Mm. But for her now, she's, you know, a head of client experience um, for one of our office locations in the Philippines of a business of two and a half thousand. She was an office manager of 30 people. Mm. So her career, you know, if you look at it technically on a resume, it probably looks like it went backwards. But if you look at what she's actually been able to achieve, it's significant. Mm. Yeah, I think that, you know, finding those those people that have the skill set for what you need now, but also the skill set for what you need next um, is important. And that's a really lovely segue into a question I want to ask you around the future. But the future of accounting and bookkeeping and, you know, this whole industry that we have the pleasure of playing into, what do you see the future look like? Talk next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Where do you, where do you see the industries going? What, what things do you think we, we're going to move into, be aware of and, and be challenged and face as time goes on? Yeah, look, I think it's definitely an exciting time to be in, in the space. I think it's probably, if I look back in the time that I've been around the industry, I think it is coming into the most exciting time because it's, it's where we can have the most impact. The technology is starting to automate a lot of the um, process orientated work you've got obviously um, cost effective team members globally that can be working on more transactional work which allows you to have more meaningful conversations with your clients and I think that for me accounting is a human-centric business you know people could go on google a lot of the questions that they ring us for but they ring us because they need us to reassure them that it's okay it's to help them go through the maze of confusion so that we can simplify the complex. And I think that that's the exciting part for me is that I see that accounting as an industry will become more about storytelling numbers. And I think that we will definitely, and we're seeing a transition to roles already around data analytics and, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, surfacing a lot more data, but, you know, it's well and good to have all this data, but if no one knows how to interpret it and then simplify it for our clients, Mm. For them to be able to implement practical um, strategies, there's no point having the data. So that's the part that's exciting for me is that I think I look back and go, well, 10 years ago, you know, bookkeepers were still entering everything in manually. Now technology does most of that. They, you know, there's a few clicks of other things, but they've definitely increased their role up the value chain. And I mm. think that we'll just continue to evolve that. I don't think that technology will ever take away the accountants because we are a service-based business we're a human connection business Mm. and i think that that's what some people forget around the technology that's come into the industry is that technology is an enabler it's not the solution it's an enabler to have a deeper connection with your client i remember getting into a not quite heated but relatively robust conversation with someone who was kind of saying you know technology is coming you know what are you going to do i'm like why are you making this a fearful thing this is an opportunity 
you should be being positive in this environment. You shouldn't be creating fear and, and making people kind of fight and run and, and whatnot because the opportunity is if you can leverage technology well, you can display more value. You can be more impactful because people don't feel like they're paying you to click a button. They're paying you to help them understand their business more, to to provide guidance, to keep them out of jail, all these kind of things that for them are really important. They don't care about the button being clicked in their reconciliation. They care about the other stuff. And I think that the more we can have healthy, positive conversations that aren't based about you're going to lose all your clients or there's what are you going to do in 10 years' time when everything's automated um, and turn it into more of a positive environment, I think we're going to see more and more accountants, bookkeepers, advisors really picking up um, and doing really cool new stuff that we don't see. Like a lot of that data analytics stuff, I, I look and I struggle with a little bit myself. You know, we look after primarily small family businesses. They don't necessarily have a need or a desire for that kind of information. But it's also possibly because no one's really put enough thought into how do I deliver that to a small half a million dollar landscaping business to help them make better decisions in a way that's efficient for the advisor, but also impactful for the client. I think that's the thing is the more we have this data available, the more people are going to be going, well, what can I do with this now that I have it? Now that's because the challenge has been getting the data is really difficult. Oh, there's, you've got to really understand certain pieces of technology or you've got to really dive in or when the data comes, it's really not all that useful, but it's becoming more and more useful and more and more accessible now. And then it's going to question is, well, what can we do with it? What can we do with this information to create a better environment for these Aussie businesses? 100% agree. And I think that the other thing that technology is doing is, you, particularly in America, we see a lot more VC funding going into accounting, or we call them tech accounting firms. Now, what I like about that and where I see that there is a future is that those firms are 100% building their process on the customer experience. And that's where they're winning their customers. And that's where they're winning new clients from other accounting firms that don't focus on the customer journey and the experience that they get from you, that human element. And I think that's the exciting part that as technology evolves, it's going to create a better experience for our customers. And a better experience means that more human connection. Mm. Mm. That's the whole reason I started Illuminate, be more human, more relationship driven. Mate, I've got one last question before we finish up. As you know, this is Ali and Andrew's All Aussie Accounting Adventures. Um, and I'd love to know if you have an all Aussie accounting adventure moment, some point in time, some story, some anecdote that you might want to share with myself and our listeners. I'll use an interesting one, which was how I set up in the Philippines. I was over there for that board retreat or global, it was a board training, you could call it for entrepreneurs organization. And the final night, the dinner was, um, a banquet so they put on all this food and they put this coconut on our tables which was some local delicacy with was a soup and and i had it what i ended up being is i was in my hospital on a drip for three days oh jeepers so every hospital has its own medical clinic and the nurse would come up i basically rang reception said look i'm violently ill and i said oh we'll send the doctor and nurse up and i'm like what do you mean doctor and nurse you got them in the hotel and they're like every hotel does um so We've got them in our offices now. So every one of our offices has a doctor and a nurse in it as well. It's just the thing in the Philippines, but I didn't know that. So for three days, I was getting administered for food poisoning. Um, and that was my first trip to the Philippines. Oh, uh, <laughs> but um, it was what we found out was those coconuts with that soup broth was sitting there for three or four hours before we actually had it. So there was 
30 or 40 other people that got food poisoning out of oh, the no. uh, thousand people that were there. So I'm surprised a- you went back to the Philippines after that. Sometimes people have those experiences like, you know what? I am done with this place. Yeah, well, that was my thought. That was my initial thought is there's no way I'm coming back here. And then you know, <laughs> I quickly went, hang on. They do have some good people. They're there's cost some- effective. Let's, yeah. let's try it. That's a that is a one cracker of a story, and you decided to continue pushing through. Good on you. Well, hey Nick, thank you so much for joining myself here on the All Aussie Accounting Adventures podcast. Really appreciate your support as a sponsor um, for Ali and myself, and as well as what you do in our accounting industries. Uh, listeners, if you're out there and you are having challenges with your human resource um, and you are struggling to get through your workload and you need some more people to assist you with that, but you can't seem to find them, have it reach out to Nick and the team at Toet Global. They have have an amazing crew of people based in the Philippines um, that have a lot of skill sets that you might just be looking for. So give them a shout and um, hopefully they can give you a hand as well. Thanks for your time, Nick. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Cheers, mate. Hey, thanks for taking the time to hang out with us today on Ellie and Andrew's All Aussie Accounting Adventures. Uh, make sure you check us out on the socials at Accounting Adventures, as well as jump on our website, accountingadventures.com.au. While you're there, make sure, if you liked it, to rate, review and share so that more people can come on the Accounting Adventures together with us. Also, if you have a question or something that we haven't covered and you think we really should, then make sure to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. This is your community and we want you to be a part of it.